welcome to the stlhighschoolsports.com basketball show. I'm your host, Dave Quedal. On this episode, we're going to catch up with Cardinal Ritter Boys basketball coach Ryan Johnson. Among the topics we discussed were his Lions winning last year's Class 3 state championship a week before the Class 4 and Class 5 state semifinals were canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic, what it's like navigating COVID-19 this year as he tries to keep his players healthy and safe and playing the game they love, and what it's like moving into Class 5 after the Lions were hit with a success factor that is now being used by the Missouri State High School Activity Association and doing all of that without Luther Burden III, the standout football and basketball player who transferred from Cardinal Ritter to East St. Louis this week. We also got into what it was like for him to play at CBC and then at Memphis and when he knew he wanted to be a coach. RJ tells a great story, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did talking to him because I had a lot of fun. It was it was a good conversation. After that, Greg Upton's going to drop by to talk about the championship game of the Parkway West showdown between Kirkwood and DeSmet and the fantastic finish he saw when Francis Howell returned to the court on Thursday and took on a very good Eureka team. All that's coming up, but first, here's Ryan Johnson. I'm now joined by Cardinal Ritter boys basketball coach Ryan Johnson, who was nice enough to join the stlhighschoolsports.com podcast. RJ, how's it going, man? Thanks so much for being here. Hey, man, it, it, it's going, and, and everything is as can be. I appreciate the invite, and, and thank you for having me. So you're... And last year, uh, the Class 4 and 5 state tournaments did not get to finish, but Class 3 did, and your Lions were the state champions, the reigning Class 3 champions. You've obviously been bumped into Class 5 this year due to multiplier considerations, but still, until someone else wins, the Lions are the Class 3 champs. And I'm, I'm curious what it was like for you guys to be able to be among the few who were able to go and complete the season last March when so many local teams, Chaminade, CBC on the boys' side, Vashon as well, were unable to. What's it like for your guys to get mission accomplished? Well, I mean, for us, the, the first word that comes to mind is blessed. Uh, just having, you know, you know, Justin's my cousin and Tony being a close friend and you know, me knowing Frank and all those other people and just seeing what, what the outcome was for them not being able to, uh, just say blessed, man. It was, it was a, a journey that we, we set out to, to accomplish at the beginning of the season, and, and we were just so fortunate to be able to come through and be able to complete it with all, all the things that were on the table, even the day of and us leaving to go down there. We just didn't know what we were going to do. So to get it done, it was, it was it's a blessing. So currently, uh, St. Louis City and St. Louis County, to play ball, you have to wear masks. But down at State, you guys, you didn't have to wear masks, but there were COVID protocols in place, temperatures right. being taken. What was it like kind of being at the, f- the the front edge of what has now become our new normal in a lot of ways? Yeah, I think for us it was different just, just to see what, you know, one, to understand that, hey, you know, we just barely, you know, made the fact of getting here. So then when we got there, you know, they had the, the people with the mat, their masks on and temperature checks and things like that. So they, you know, we had to stand at a uh, wait in a particular area for everybody to be scanned and checked. When in that particular instant, we're not even knowing what, you know, really COVID is. Sure. So everybody's standing this close together. Now that I think about it, you asked me the question. We're all confined in a small space standing right next to each other with, you know, no mask on, whatever it may be, just waiting to get your temperature checked. So we're under the impression that I guess if it's your temperature's up, then you got it, you know. But mm-hmm. it was <laughs> little did we know now that we do that it's a, a bigger thing than that. So it was, yeah, it was very different. It is kind of interesting to look back where we were in March for the, the, the quarterfinals for big schools and the championship weekend for small schools, what we thought we knew then to what we think we know now, it's very right. drastic. Very drastic. I agree with that. So to play in St. Louis City, there are different protocols than even in St. Louis County. Obviously, masks are required, but the city has also put the extra stipulation for high school sports that COVID tests are required for everybody participating every other week. 
And I know it, that's that's been a hard thing for a lot of schools just to get the results back in time because, yeah. you know, sometimes you don't get those results back. You don't get the results back because the lab is, you know, busy. You can't mm-hmm. play. What's it like? navigating all the hurdles that come with trying to play in a pandemic and then throwing on top of that you need labs and tests and things to make sure you're following all the procedures you have to adhere to yeah i mean it's just just even hearing you say it it's a lot you know i mean it makes you take a deep breath and just you know just like man you know it's just it's just it's like you said it's a way of life now and I mean, nothing's perfect. We understand that nothing's going to go exactly the way, you know, that we wanted to all the time. But we just try to get so far ahead of it. And, you know, we got a great partnership with the people who do our testing. And, you know, either they'll come to us or we'll go to them on the drive up situation. You know, we're responsible for three teams. Well, really four. I got a freshman, a J- two JV teams and a, and a varsity team. So we and managers and all of that. So it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a chore trying to get all of that stuff done. But, you know, we'd rather be on the safe side of things than not. And luckily we've been blessed to be able to get those, those, you know, those tests back results back in the right amount of time where we haven't had to miss any games and we haven't had anybody affected with the virus on our, in our program. So that's a, you know, a knock on wood positive thing right now. That is a knock on wood minute situation yeah. because it can change in a minute. In a minute, yeah. So uh, currently, let's talk about like this season. Huh? Let's talk about basketball instead of right. madness. But this right. season, you guys are your guys are ten and three. You won yeah. what about six in a row now over some really good teams. You won at South Iron, at Borgia, and uh, versus Jackson at Cape Girardeau Central. Uh, beat St. Louis U High the other night. So what what has it been like for your guys getting on a roll coming off a championship? Because I'd imagine there's a combination of, of hunger for new guys, but how do you keep them from getting complacent? Because they do have that very shiny ring on their finger. Man, man I, I think I spoke to it before we got recording. It's, it's been the hardest task ever that I've had to attempt to do as a, as a, as a head basketball coach or an assistant coach. Um, it's just, like you said, it's just so many factors, you know, one thing that I try to remain true to is play the toughest schedule I could possibly put in front of my team. And, you know, that's just, that's just in my DNA from being, you know, coaching where I've coached and played where I played. Uh, that's just a necessary thing if you want to be a championship team. So you have to have a tough schedule. Um, and then, like you say, coming off a win in my mind, how I think and how I was brought up it once I won as a sophomore, it, it was inside of me so bad to want to get back and do it and keep doing it and doing it. And it's just like, you know, the athlete now is a lot different than the athlete then because the athlete now is more content and more satisfied with just the, Hey, I did it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, the end of it, you know, Look at my Instagram and look at this. I posted this and posted that. And it's like, there is just a different being, man, of just trying to get these kids to understand. And then to their to their credit, you know, their kids, and they're dealing with a pandemic. You yep. know what I mean? Like, they don't get to go places that they want to go or do the things that they normally do or have people at their games, have to be on school online for half the week, half the week be at school, like, Man, it's the craziest thing I've ever, ever had to do. And it's it's been tough. It's been hard on me, man. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been some tough moments throughout this year. And it's just a, a realization that makes you wonder, you know, what's next? You know what I mean? Can we continue to go like this? Or is something else? I don't know. It just makes you wonder. That's it. Well, I've always been told that defending a championship is much harder than the first one a lot of coaches say that like they getting up the hill is is a monumental task but then getting back up the hill when when you have that big old target on your back is that much harder to do so even in normal times your task would have been tough but then you you like i said you bring back what did you bring back about 10 dudes who played for you guys last year yeah about close to that about yeah between eight and ten yeah that actually you know that got on the floor yeah 
Yeah. Well, because what was so impressive about your championship game performance last year was your your starting five were were kind of sidelined in foul trouble, and your your secondary group came in and really dominated and, and opened up an impressive championship victory over Charleston. So I'm what what was it like kind of bringing those dudes back who were able to deliver that you know that big performance in a championship game and and kind of they have to kind of figure out their new roles because you also brought in a guy na- uh, named Braxton Stacker who transferred right. from Belleville East who was a very very talented player for the Lancers last year so you've got all these guys in the pot what's it like trying to figure out who's doing what and what roles are whose and all of that yeah it's just you know trying to trying to get to know the new and then also trying to establish kind of what you already know about the ones that you have. You know, I think the the unknown is the growth between the year before and the now. You know, what does that look like? Or even if there was any growth at all, because one, there was a reason why that they were coming off the bench compared to either starting or not the previous year. But what have you learned over the summer? Or what, you know, what have you done to change up your 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 routines or whatever it may be to 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 make yourself accountable or ready for the task that you have at hand? And I think that that's a lot of what we've dealt with with not being able to, you know, do our off-season program like we would normally do. Uh, you know, we could you know, so many different protocols as you could work out with three people or whatever. You know, just trying to navigate mm-hmm. that stuff. And just at the same time, mesh a new group together. And then you, they're adolescents, so, you know, their focus has changed. You know, everybody, you know, uh, last year they may have been wanting to do basketball. This year they may have wanted to do football. Maybe they don't want to play at all anymore. Just, you know, it's just so much, man, with kids and, you know, mental issues and being depressed. And, you know, it's just a, just a plethora of things you have to deal with. You know, just trying to get these guys in line and ready to go and be ready for the year. And what's it like when you finally get them on the court to play somebody? I mean, you guys opened up the year hot, taking on a, a DeSmet team that a lot of people have high expectations for. And then you yeah. jump in and play, you know, a Kickapoo and then Shamanad and obviously CBC. Mm-hmm. So what's it like? kind of going through an off-season unlike any other, adding these pieces, these new pieces, and then taking on some of the best teams in the state right out the jump. Yeah. I think for us and for me just personally, we missed some major opportunities. I mean, with the talent that we have and, and, and the kids that I know that I have in my program, and I just think mentally they weren't ready. You know what I mean? But physically, talent-wise, it wouldn't even be a question. Like, you don't question it. Like, it's, those are matchups you know you can win. Those are matchups that you want. Those are matchups that you've been waiting for. But just mentally, they weren't prepared. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's an ongoing thing, you know, dealing with, you know, the season and just trying to, you know, be prepared for the next game. Yeah, we're, we're getting better and we're figuring it out, but we're still not where we should be and we're still not where we could be. And that's the scariest thing ever because if these kids figure it out and able to get over the hump of, of all the things that we deal with, and I, and I we kind of talked about it last night because we played Sloop, like I'm not going to sit in front of you and tell you that what you're dealing with is normal because it's not normal. And the things that we have to come through on an everyday basis is, is this is it's big. So we have to keep fighting and we have to keep trying to put the left foot in front of the right and continue to move in the direction that we have set in front of us. Because one thing that I know is for sure is that champions and, and, and championship fighters, they take punches. The reason why they raise their hand in the end is because they decided to keep punching and keep punching until they come out on top. So that's just the way we're going to have to figure it out as we continue to move through the schedule. Now, you'd mentioned earlier when you played, for those who don't know, you were the point guard at CBC when Larry Hughes and Justin Tatum led the, helped lead the cadets to a state championship in 1997. So what was your experience in high school like, being the point guard on a team that obviously was a 
is one of the most revered high school teams here in town, I like to think. I mean, I hear a lot about those guys. Now, I talk to a lot of you guys for my job, so I hear a lot about it there, too. But I'm, I'm curious, what was it like playing back in the day, man? Man, it was it was it was it was an amazing thing, man, to have a have those two talented guys on your team and you know, me being two years younger than them to be, you know, a part of that and that starting five and, and just see the the things that, that people used to do to come watch a game or, you know, the things that these guys did in the game and you know, I I did my things here and there, but it was more about them to beat. That's just how it was. And that's, you know, that's the nature of the beast. And they deserve all of the credit that, that, that they get every day for, for the championship that we, we won together, man. It was just some unbelievable things. And at that, at that point in time in, 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 in life, I think, shoot, Larry Hughes might've been one of the baddest men to ever touch a ball at that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, that that and that to be on the court with that and to see that and to be a teammate of that, it just it, it makes your game go to the next level because you you want you you don't want to be the missing link. You don't want to be the piece that let it down. So you you're willing to do whatever you gotta do. Man, in that season, shoot, I guarded guys six eight, guarded guys five two, like it didn't matter. I, I was the I was that person. Like, go get them. Like you can't let them get going. And that's just you know, I, I I started in that role and I and I enjoyed it, man. And it, it was it paid off. I'm curious, what are the things you look back on now as you're coaching guys who were in that position and wish you're like, damn, I wish I knew this then. Like this would have helped. Is that a long list, or is there a couple of things that you really think would have made a difference? Um, I just think for us, the thing that we talk about more so as coaches now then you know when we were players then is i think the investment piece is bigger between the coaches now than then uh and just to kind of clarify that it's like right now we're trainers we're coaches like we're around the game 24 7 like it's a, it's it's almost a way of life whereas back then it's more you know and some coaches still today kind of take that same approach as more of a seasonal you know, you're a seasonal coach deal. And, you know, I'll see you guys around basketball. No, it's not like that. Like basketball is taking on a whole nother element, a whole nother hemisphere as far as what that looks like for, for kids future, what it looks like for coaches future, like, you know, the avenues and the opportunities that are out there for anybody that wants to push themselves to reach higher levels. Like, it's it's out there, so I would say that 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 piece. If I could do anything, or it could be different, I would wish I would have a coach that was just as invested in as I am in my kids now. Then that's what I would hope. So from CBC, you went off to University of Memphis, played for the Tigers. What was it like playing ball in Memphis? I heard that Memphis is a hell of a basketball city, man. That must have yeah. been fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like just being able to one be that close to home, you know, and then to you know when you usually hear about people going off to college, they always come back with stories about the colleges in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing to do and you know all of these stories. I didn't have that story. You know what I mean? Memphis is three and a half, four hours away. It's a city. It's not a small city. It's kind of a big city, okay. and it's a lot of stuff to do. You know what I mean? And and it, at that time, they did. We really didn't have. I think we had just got the Grizzlies, uh, so they they really never had a professional team down there other than the AAA uh, Cardinals. So the Memphis Tigers were the professional team of the city. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and you were treated like that. You know, with me playing football and basketball down there, man, it was a. It was a hell of a thing. It was. It was. I enjoyed it. And I, if I could do that over again, I would. You know, I would, I'd like to, another chance to relive that. But yeah, it was. It was a hell of a thing, and I I enjoyed every bit of. I didn't realize you did football and basketball. What was it like doing two sports at a D one level? That had to be crazy hard. Man, it was. It, it, it was the. I would say probably the one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. You know what I mean? Just. The, the whole process itself of, of being a, a two-sport athlete in high school at the highest level, 
and having to decide, you know, kind of, you you know, you had the, the kids like Luther Burden and, and all of these guys that play two sports and they're really good at two sports. And then, you know, when you get to college, one of them have to give you a college scholarship, you know, and you have to walk on on the other. So with football being on the calendar, the first thing that comes up, the University of Memphis was one of the only schools that was willing to allow me to, to actually do both. And, you know, I couldn't turn it down because, again, it's a how do you choose when you've always done both your whole life? It's like, I don't want to choose. I want to do both. Mm-hmm. But as you come to find out as you get older, you know, at some point, you know, you have to make a, a tough decision as an adult. And, you know, at that point, you're a young adult. But, you know, right now, those are things that we can tell kids because we have that experience that it's a hard feat. Because coaches, you know, they want their time. And time is, is money on that level. So they got to have you. So they'll, they'll be willing to do whatever they got to do to make sure that you stick with one sport. So it's hard for kids to do that. They have to really have an exceptional person or somebody that's, you know, really bought into that kid. If not, it's not going to go well. So running back, wide receiver, corner, where did you play? Wide receiver and punt returner. I actually hold – I probably am either first or second. I haven't checked in a long time, but just uh, on the punt return list in history down there, I'm probably second overall. Uh, yeah, I played I, – I was a receiver, man. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't play in a day where you get, you know, a thousand touches. I think one of my <laughs> highest <laughs> – one of my highest seasons may have been like three, four hundred yards with kids are getting that in one game now, man. It's it's crazy. So yeah, I play I play receiver and punt return. Well, I I've had this conversation before, but but football is so unique in our culture in that there are no old man football leagues. Like you can go to the YMCA and get a run in if you really want to. There's old man right. baseball, but right. football is a whole different animal. What was it like being able to continue playing that game? Because a lot of kids don't get to do that after high school, and and you yeah. obviously did. That must have been special. Man, it, it, it definitely was, man. It, it, it helped me be a more of a professional person uh, just to be able to understand and come up there as a freshman and actually play football as a true freshman and, and learn from my older, my older peers and, and what it's like to actually be a collegiate athlete what the school actually, you know, being able to go to class and be accountable. Like, I think that that may be the one piece that, that high school kids don't, don't really understand is the accountability piece between being a high school athlete and a college athlete. It's on a whole nother level. Like, you're playing with people, like, they, like they get paid to bring you in and to have a good team. So if you're messing around and these 30 and 40 chances that the high school coach has to give you because he can't, get another kid it doesn't exist on the college level so I would say it's just you know being able to 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 grace that stage and 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 to play at that level and play against the Tennessees and and all of that stuff it made me more of a professional and more of a like I say have a a, a greater appreciation for accountability do you miss football at all not at all not at all <laughs> not, not not a second you know it's a funny story. I had uh, it's the reason why I never really mention it or never really talk about it is my my junior year going into no 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 my sophomore year going into my junior year. I had played as a freshman. My sophomore year, I was a captain on on, on the University of Memphis team, and then we lost the coach that recruited me. His name was Rip Shear. He got fired, and then. Uh, the next coach, me and a couple other guys went in and, and you know, we, we we tried to, we wanted our defensive coordinator to get the job. His name was Tommy West, and he went on to be the coach there for a long time. But little did we know that once he got the job, the plan was for him to get rid of every kid that Rip Shear brought in. So he made it extremely tough on us, whatever it may be, right? So I felt I was doing pretty good my junior year. You know what I mean? I'm setting these records for punt return, special teams player of the year. You know, receiving-wise, I'm catching balls. So I decided to leave early and go to the draft because 
the writings on the wall stated that he didn't want nobody there that was with Rip. So I decided to enter the NFL draft my junior year. I had a, 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 a round four through six rating. So I said, I'll take my chances because at that time, Larry was in the league. I was like, shoot, it's my turn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll go to football and be in the league too. And, it, you know, I didn't want to do any more school. You know how kids think about school. And, <laughs> but come to that, when it was time for those, those scouts to come talk to that guy, Tommy West, he made up a lot of things and that weren't true. And my my dream of being drafted and being picked up went from good to not happening at all. So that's another perspective that I take as a coach. You know, the investment that you have with a kid is is it should never be a personal thing, but it should be more of a mentorship. And I'm responsible for that kid and his well-being and and excess of of all the kids. It doesn't matter if. If another coach brought him in or not, but you're responsible for the success of that kid. So that kind of turned my 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 football dreams and my memories of football. I just kind of threw them away just because of that that situation. I had no. I, I just figured you didn't like it because you were sore as hell. I didn't realize that that y'all had that going on. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy deal. And but the one thing that I will say about it. I was smart enough to put a, a backup plan in place to where, okay, I did play basketball at Memphis. And, you know, I, I left school early as a football player, so I still had an amount of time to play. But once your clock starts as a collegiate athlete, you only have so many, so many years to play at a Division I level. So what I did was, if you go Division II, your clock, there is no time limit on your clock. So I ended up leaving Memphis, my NFL dreams, Arena League, all of that stuff, threw it away, went back to school, finished it at a Division II called Henderson State in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, where I played basketball for two and a half years, graduated, and that was that. And when did you know coaching was something you wanted to pursue? Because I don't... <laughs> I don't think a lot of guys come out of school thinking, I can't wait to go deal with the kids. I think that's a certain kind of dude who really feels drawn to that. Well, let me tell you what type of guy I am, Dave, and I think you're really going to like this part of the story. Oh, So my my senior year, I'm done playing at Henderson State, right? Again, we go through another – so the end of the year, they fired my coach, right? They fired a coach. So they're doing a – they're doing a hiring thing. They're trying to find the next coach at Henderson State University. So I decide, as a, as a senior graduate, I said, let me go knock on the AD's door real quick and have a conversation with him. So the conversation that I wanted with the AD was, I went in there and told him, I said, I said, listen, I said, basically, I want to be the head coach of this school. And the AD looked at me with the biggest eyes ever, he was like, well, you got some balls to come in here and just ask me that right off the top. I was like, hey, I, I want to be – and at that time, to be honest with you, I was responsible for our weightlifting program as a player. Mm-hmm. I put all our weightlifting stuff together for our team. As far as sets and everything like that, the coach really never had to coach because I was a coach on the floor. I dissected plays. I could I could call out whatever we need. I call it right. Like it was just I, I knew that it was in me, you know, and I felt confident enough that I thought that I could actually coach at the collegiate level. At that time, I was might have been what, 24, 24, maybe mm-hmm. 24 going on 25 in the division two. I thought I was able to do it. And that's the kind of confidence that I have as a coach because I. I'm well in tune to the game. I understand the game. I love the game. And God gave me a gift to be able to see it a different way than others, man. And I and I just went in there and told him, uh, of course, he didn't give me the job. But he, I think he had a different respect level for me, just me even, you know, being able to come in there and even think that I had an opportunity to get the job. So that's when I knew I was going to be a coach. Wow. So <laughs> what, what, whose staff did you – Join first as an assistant because I assume then you had to start working your way up. Mm-hmm. Well, me at, at at that time before we even started coaching high school, I think we started AAU, and Justin 
uh, no, right when I left, right when I left Henderson, I got into the 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 uh, the, uh, the concierge training where I trained Larry Hughes and and I you know I traveled with him and I was his trainer, mm-hmm. you know, on call twenty four hours. So I did a lot of training and I was coaching AAU. So and we did with uh, the Eagles at the time. Me and Justin always coached together. You know, we're family, so we we respect each other's thought process as far as game and and basketball to the point of you know we would switch off games and that's the kind of respect that we have for each other and we know the game so once i decided to actually get back and start coaching my um my first job was at block yeshiva high school in u city Mm -hmm. it was a jewish like a jewish school and this school these kids couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time right but this, this old jewish man named don he came and found me. I don't even know how he found me. He got my name, number from somebody. And I went over there for about six months and, and turned them into being able to, to run plays and actually scoring games and play teams like sold into, you know, like close. And we even went to New York to a tournament and we played, we placed in that tournament. The people up there were like, oh my God. These kids usually didn't even score baskets. So, you know, I started with them and then I left them and me and Justin connected back together as far as the coach. And I was his assistant coach moving forward. So, you know, it was sold in. We were at sold in. Once we left sold in, we went to, I went to CBC with them. And then mm-hmm. that's kind of how it all rolled like that. So were you on staff at sold in when, when they won in 2012? Yep. Yep. I was the lead assistant. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014, when CBC won? I was actually in Atlanta. I came back the next year. I had to, mm-hmm. I, I um, was responsible for helping uh, build a, a women's fitness center that Larry did in Atlanta. So I left to help him do that, and then I came back the following year. So yep. you, you missed the CBC ring and then ran into Jason Tatum and Chaminade his yep. junior and senior year. Right. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Hell of a task trying to stop your family, man. It, it didn't quite work. You should have been on our side, though. <laughs> yeah. But then you transitioned from CBC out to Cardinal Ritter, where you were an assistant for Coach Randy Reed. And yeah. then uh, this is your third season as the head coach at Cardinal yeah. Ritter. First yeah. year, you make a district championship game with the opponent being Vashon at Vashon, always a dicey proposition. Guys had a tough one that night, but that's one of the great Vashon teams we've seen. And then last year, obviously, a state championship. So one as a player, one as an assistant, and now one as a head coach? Yep, that's correct. That's pretty impressive, man. You got three rings, man, three rings, in, in three different facets of the game, yep. So what are the challenges you think your guys are going to face as we try to wrap this up here? Uh, moving into Class 5, you have a district draw that includes a very good University City team coached by Kelvin Lee, who I'm sure you know very well. And then, again, DeSmet is, would be on your side of the bracket should, who, should your uh, Lions get out of the district tournament. Not to assume anything, but that's obviously a very tough road to hoe. What are the challenges in front of your guys playing a Class 5 postseason? Well, I think, I think it, it kind of it, it, the challenge is the way it sounds. It's, 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 it's going to be a tough feat, you know what I mean? And, but I kind of look at the glass half empty and the glass half full. We could look at it as a challenge and a tough feat, but we could also look at it as a hell of an accomplishment. Where could you say in anywhere in the world that you moved up two classes with no, like your school didn't get bigger, you didn't get more kids, none of that, and then that you're actually be able to come back and say that you did it twice with those stipulations. So that's a glass half empty or half full, but it's not going to be easy. You just, I mean, you just named it off. And then with the very thing that you said earlier with that, that target on your back, man, and everything that come with it, the complacency and all of that, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy. It's definitely not going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy because, and one one reason it's not going to be easy is uh, Luther Burden, the five-star football player who was a big part of the basketball program, uh, transferred to East St. Louis this week. He 
You know, he's one of the dynamic young athletes in the country on the football field, but a really, really nice basketball player. What's it like going forward without a guy who had been a key piece of the title run last year and was a nice piece for the program this uh, part of the season? Yeah, I mean, it it, it is like it sounds, man. Not only is he a a top athlete on the, the field, Believe it or not, he's the, one of the best or the top athletes on the court. And probably if you go back and look at our stats and look at our tapes, like he was our best player to finish the year. And that's just kind of the type of, you know, the the type of athlete that he is. You're talking about a kid that's a, a top five prospect in the country as football and then even basketball to, to, to go back and fathom that this was a USA kid in grade school, like, and leading the eighth grade in basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's, that's 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 going to be tough, man. But, you know, I believe in my kids and I believe in, the, in, in, in how we pre- prepare. And I believe in, you know, the mission as to what we set out to do each and every day. And these kids, are, they're, they're up for the challenge. So I think it's going to be tough. But that's that's been the, that's been the, um, the name of the game since this pandemic has gone. Tough and not normal. So... It fits right in to what, to what we got to do. So it, it's nothing new, I guess you can say, but definitely a tough deal. Ryan Johnson, head coach at Cardinal Ritter for the boys' basketball team. Thank you very much for joining us here on the podcast. I appreciate you for having me, Dave. Thank you. Thanks again to RJ for dropping by the show. Up next, we're going to talk to Greg Upton about the Parkway West Showdown championship game with DeSmet and Kirkwood and what happened Thursday night when Francis Howell took the court against an outstanding Eureka team. That's up next, right after this break. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who was at the Parkway West Showdown. The championship game on Friday night featured DeSmet and Kirkwood knocking heads. Greg, thanks for joining the show. What was shaking at Parkway West? My pleasure. So we had a, a battle of uh, two of the top ten large school teams in our, our rankings. Uh, DeSmet checking in at number four this week, and Kirkwood up to number seven on the strength of their uh, eight-game winning streak that they had coming into the game uh, here tonight. And, and these were the top two seeds in the uh, tournament as well. DeSmet, the number one seed. And Kirk with the number two seed, and it was a uh, it was a close ball game for the first 14, 15 minutes of the game. Uh, you know, DeSmet jumped out to an early lead, five nothing. Um, Cannon Neslich hit a couple threes on back to back possessions. Kirkwood was up one, and then it was kind of you know toe to toe there for a while there, and it was a one point game with uh, a minute 15 to go in the second quarter. Spartan scored the last six points of the first half to take a seven point lead into the locker room and then scored the first 12 points of the second half, all uh, right at the midway point. They scored those in the first four minutes of the second half. So in a span of about five minutes and 15 seconds or so, the game went from a one point contest to a 19 point contest, just like that. And, and wow. the Smed ended up uh, rolling from there and winning 55, 41. What did they use to to get that streak, that that big roll going? Was it defense? Were they shooting it really well? What did you see? It was a little bit of everything there. Um, they to, to start the streak, they had uh, Jeremiah Walker hit four straight free throws, and then right at the end of the half, uh, the Spartans hoisted up a three-pointer to try and beat the buzzer. Uh, didn't go up, but they had enough time that Brian Taylor, under the basket, caught it and kind of went up and under and threw it up and in, kind of an acrobatic-type play at the buzzer uh, to give them a, a bus- basket right there. So that gave them some huge momentum. And then the second half, Justin Duff came out, hit a three-pointer right away. Brian Taylor uh, had a couple more baskets where he had a uh, uh, a steal under his own basket, went coast-to-coast for a layup down the other way. Uh, Sekou Gassima had a three-point play. Um, so they had a, a variety of different things. When, and I was talking to Coach Kent Williams after the game. He said, we really just didn't get into our our offense and get the things we wanted to get going in that first half. And he said, second half, we finally got that going a little bit. So it was a matter of the Spartans finally getting 
the offense and the looks and the, 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 the plays that they wanted going and then a little bit of defense too when you talk about you know Taylor getting the steal going coast to coast for the layup so a little bit of everything they were able to and uh, shut Kirkwood down as well they were very happy with the 18 points that they gave up in the first half um, and he, he even said you know when we give up 18 points in the first half we expect to probably have a bigger lead than what we had uh, he just you know they just couldn't get things going offensively but finally got it going there and that's what helped fuel that streak and, and get them going uh, in that decisive streak to get them on to victory. So coming into the tournament, DeSmet had lost back-to-back MCC games yes. with CBC and Chaminade by a combined, I think, like seven points. I mean, they mm-hmm. just tough, tough games. For a DeSmet team that is down, you know, one of their big guys in Yaya Kita, who signed with Mizzou, they lost another key piece who decided to go play soccer. I mean, this isn't the team that they thought they were going to be. No. But they certainly looked pretty good over at Parkway West as they, you know, won all three games by – this was their closest yeah. game of the tournament with a 14-point margin of victory, beating up Parkway South, Lafayette, and then Kirkwood. Yeah, yeah, you, you you hit the nail on the head right there when you when you talk about uh, you know maybe some of the guys that they kind of thought would um, you know be a big part of their team this year. Uh, you know, Thomas Redman was was a pretty big scorer for them That's last right. year. He's the soccer guy you're talking about. Um, obviously, not having Yaya in there is, is is huge. I mean, this is a guy who's going to play in the SEC. Uh, another big body in there. I mean, Seku's a, a big guy, but you know they had those twin towers in there, which was always nice to have. And even some uh, more of the role bit players. I mean, Rico Barfield played last year. He decided not to play this year to concentrate on football. Mac Markway was a guy who gave him some size inside. He tore his ACL in football. So those were four guys that they were really kind of counting on this year. Um, you know, some more than others, obviously, uh, and then they're not there. They're not in that lineup. So they had to, you know, shift gears a little bit, make do with some things. But, you know, guys like Brian Taylor, point guard who leads the team in, in uh, points per game, 14.1. He had 18 tonight. He had nine assists in the uh, tournament opener. You know, he's a guy who stepped up this year, Jeremiah Walker. Senior guard, he's another guy who stepped up. Obviously, having Sekou Gassima is in, the, in there is obviously nice. And then, you know, some of the shooters like Justin Duff and Brennan Levette. So, you know, they've been able to piece some things together and still, you know, have a very competitive team out there. And like you said, close losses to CBC and Chaminade. They've they've played some very tough teams this year. So you look at the record 10-5 and five and you go, oh, okay. But, you know, obviously year in, year out, they play a tough schedule. This was their first uh, tournament action of the year. Um, they weren't able to get the, you know, they don't normally play in the coaches versus cancer at the end of the, the, the uh, calendar year. Didn't get to do that. They were supposed to play in the Bass Pro Tournament champions. Didn't get to play that. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time that they've been able to, to suit it up in a tournament. And that's one of the things that Ken Williams pointed out was, hey, look, you know, we've had all these. You know, we were able to get some games. We've, he was at one point we had 40 practices in three games, you know, with all the things that were getting canceled. He goes, we needed something like this to where we could just have a week, have a focus for something at the end of the week to shoot for. And that's exactly what they did. And they came through with, you know, laser-like precision. As you said, you know, this was the closest game they played all week, and it was a 14-point game. Um, you know, and at one point it was a 19-point game. So, you know, they, they uh, obviously did a thorough job uh, – Going through this tournament this year, this is their third title in a row. They beat Hazelwood Central in the final the last two years. Of course, Hazelwood Central just getting up and going, and they Mm -hmm. lost in their first game against Lafayette, so they didn't get a chance to get themselves back to the final. They didn't end up winning the consolation championship. Um, But so, you know, it was something that the Smith needed. They needed a, a tournament to kind of get that that focus back into gear a little bit and, and help them when you do have tournaments at the end of the year, obviously, in districts and and beyond. And they did actually, in, in, in because it's COVID year, they got into the loser's bracket at Troy because someone right, dropped right. out, so they got yeah. slotted into the consolation bracket. <laughs> right. And Lafayette, lucky Lafayette, got the first game, and then they played <laughs> Hickman in the quote-unquote consolation championship won both of those but yeah the you know this was the year DeSmet was aiming for to kind of be 
be the preeminent team, if not in the area, definitely in their conference. And like you say, the Bass Pro didn't happen this year because of COVID and all these other things. It's really, it's really unfortunate for the Spartans that the year they've been kind of aiming for dissolved during the pandemic. But the schedule remains tough. They Tuesday they get CBC at home, who they beat at home for the first time in a while last season. Then they're at Viani, and then they get Confluence. And then an always uh, interesting rivalry game with St. Louis Shoe High, all within the span between this week and next, I think Monday or maybe next Tuesday. Anyway, it's going to be it, it's going to be a, a lot of tough challenges ahead of them if all the games get played. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know you've even though Vianney and SLU may not have the records that, that CBC Chaminade dismet and, and may sound like coach meek, but there is no off nights in the MCC. I mean, Vianney and SLU would be a, a top team and in a lot of other conferences, they just happen to be lumped in with dismet Chaminade CBC. So those aren't easy games by any stretch of the imagination. Even if you, you know, look at the record and say, well, they're not having a great season necessarily, you know, and then you throw in a good small school team like confluence, which is, you know, having a, a good season this year under Brian Carvin. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not an easy ride, as you mentioned, so it'll toughen them up and, and, um, you know, hopefully help them get their stride a little bit. Uh, as you, you know, this will obviously help them get their stride coming in with a couple tough losses and then coming into the week and then, you know, coming away with three wins in a row. That will obviously help the confidence, but if they can get some string together, some wins now in some of these other upcoming games heading into you know, mid-February, and then obviously late February. That'll help the confidence of the team as well. Just to speak to Vianney's prowess, like you said, its record might not be as shiny, but they've beaten Confluence twice this year. And and, you know what I mean? And Confluence is a very good small school team who owns a win over Francis Howell. Uh, Confluence yep. beat them at O'Fallon Christian by 11. And you saw a great ball game out of Francis Howell this week. They had a long uh, COVID contact tracing, positive, whatever you want to call it. They didn't play for, a, a, shoot, 20-some-odd days? 20, 20, 20 days, exactly, yeah. Okay. Between games. So yep. 20 days, they get back yep. on the court. You're there. They got Eureka, who's yep. been playing really well. What happened at Howell on, on uh, what was that, Wednesday night? That was last night. Thursday, Thursday night, night, sorry. Yeah, I was I was at the Parkway West uh, semifinals on, uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, last night it was uh, – uh, you know, yeah, Francis Howell taking the court, you know, they, they, they played, uh, in that little mini round Robin thing they had at the end of the year, which included confluence and Fallon Christian was in there as well. Um, and so December 29th was the last game they played. Then they played Trinity on January 8th. So there was a stretch of what, 10 days there where they didn't have a game then played that one game against Trinity. And then they're out again for another 20 days. So you're talking one game in about a 30 day span, mm-hmm. uh, when it's all set and done and so i was interested to see how they would come out last night how you know if there'd be any rust because you know obviously the teams that are off like that they you see it on any level you see the college teams come out sometimes they've got some rust after not being able to play for a while obviously you know you saw what st louis you did the other night after been not playing for 33 days so <laughs> you never know how it's going to affect the team coming out um, and but they look good. I mean, they opened up uh, a first half against Eureka, which is a you know a very good uh, a team in their own right. And they had a 27-22 lead at at the half, so they were able to uh, you know hold them off at bay. They did have a unfortunate injury at the uh, outset of the game. Just you know, you've been off for for 20 days, and you, and and you played one game in 30 days, and then you're a big. Uh, six foot ten senior stud who's averaging 23 and 11 fourth in the area and in, in, in scoring and also top 10 and rebounds and blocks he gets hurt Sam Thompson uh, got hurt going up for a block two minutes and 49 seconds into the game came down awkwardly on his right ankle and he's had some ankle issues issues in the past uh, going all the way back to his freshman year, uh, but came down and turned something there. Not sure if he stepped. I didn't see, you know, I wasn't at watching the actual when his foot came down and obviously there's no TV replay. So you don't know, did he come down on a foot? 
uh, of one of his players or another player, not sure, but whatever happened, you know, he went down, he was down for, for a couple minutes, maybe a minute or two, got up, uh, limped off, went to the trainer's room, then spent the rest of the first half sitting on the baseline in a chair with his right ankle in a big, lower, large orange bucket of uh, what's obviously what had to be ice or ice cold water anyway. Um, and then spent the second half in a, uh, with an ice bag wrapped around his ankle, sitting on the bench with it propped up. So they think it's going to be a couple week type of thing with him. So we'll, we'll see with that. But, you know, in his stead, then that meant other guys had to step up, um, you know, and this isn't the, the Francis Hall team of a couple, you know, the last few years where they've got weapons galore when you've got a Matt Shark and a Dalen Dalton and a Matthew Simmons that can, you know, light it up. They do have some guys that can do it, but, you know, they only have one other double-digit score, which is Sam Maddox. Uh, Preston Fortner is a guy who's done in the past, but he's been out with an injury as well for a couple games, so he was just coming back. Uh, you know, Matt James is a good three-point shooter but you know a little streaky on and off and this is his really his first year uh of really getting some hard varsity action um so in the end it was Maddox who really turned things up um and in the second half of that game ended up being a uh mano mano uh guard showdown between two sharpshooters and Sam Maddox from Howell and Luke Liddell from uh Eureka uh, Liddell only had eight points in the first half. He ends up with 16 in the third quarter, mm. 34 for the game. His previous Ow. high was 25. Previous game, his previous high in points was 25. His previous high in three pointers was was four. I mean, this is a senior, so he's been around for a little bit. He's been on varsity three years. Uh, ends up with 34 points on six three pointers. He was just unconscious in the third quarter. So Eureka turns that thing around. They ended up having an 11 point lead near the end of the third quarter, and they were up nine going into the fourth quarter. And then it was Sam Maddox's turn for a 16-point quarter as he went off in the fourth quarter. And uh, he hit the uh, buzzer beater that I'm sure many people have seen, probably some video of it. Uh, Great inbounds play with 2.7 seconds left. He gets the ball. Uh, left elbow was able to rise up and, and swish it in. I don't think he hit the rim on any of his three pointers either in that fourth quarter. He was so dead on. He ends up with 27 points. He also had six three pointers. So it was really fun to watch those two go back to back or go back and forth. And Howell ends up with a two point win uh, on the buzzer beater. Tough loss for Eureka because they played a really good ball game and they were ahead, you know, most of that second half uh, up until the, the uh, last second of the game impressive stuff thanks as always greg we appreciate it all right my pleasure take care thanks again to ryan johnson from cardinal ritter and greg upton for joining the show i'd like to give a special shout out right now to jim fossen my longtime co-worker at stlhighschoolsports.com and before that the suburban journals of greater st louis who announced this week he was leaving the company to take a position with st dominic high school in their public relations department Congratulations on the new job, Jim. Best of luck on all your future endeavors, and I look forward to crossing paths with you at some point in the future. Stay safe out there, man. All the best.